If you would, take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And we're going to start reading at verse 7. And I'm going to read down through verse 14. Hebrews 13, starting at verse 7. Remember them that have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever, be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. We have an altar, whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. To communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, that is unprofitable for you. So the title of the message this morning is, How to Remember Them That Rule. How to Remember Them That Rule. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your love, for your mercies. Thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, Father, for your word and the instruction it gives us. And I pray as we look into this passage today, as we are to remember those that rule, puts a spotlight on myself. I pray that you'd help me, just strengthen me, give me wisdom in handling the Word of God, that it would be an encouragement and a strength and a help to these dear people, that you would be glorified. And Lord, if there's any in our midst this morning who have never put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, by repentance and faith, I pray that the Spirit of God would bring conviction and repentance and faith in Him. However you will in your way, and we'll thank you and praise you. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, three times in this concluding verses of Hebrews, it speaks to those who have the rule. In verse 7 it says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. In verse 17, it says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Then again in verse 24, he says, Salute all them that have the rule over you, and all the saints. The word remember is equivalent to think of, and feel that for a person or a thing. The word obey has the idea of persuasion or persuasive power. It's, it's kind of to, to suffer oneself to be persuaded. 
or to be induced to believe, to have faith in. So, when it says you're to obey, you're to allow yourself to be persuaded to obey the truths of the Word of God. To be induced to believe the Word of God as it's brought forth. Of course, the word salute means to greet, bid, welcome, or wish well. So all these are talking about those that rule over you. We refer to the pastors of the churches. That's who he's referred to. The word rule means to lead, to go before. It would be the, the one who has the leading influence. And he says you're to follow them, which means it's to imitate. And of course, this is exemplified by the life of the Apostle Paul, who three times, under the inspiration of the Scripture, uh, said, follow me as I follow Christ. In 1 Corinthians 4, 16, he says, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be ye followers of me, even as also I also am of Christ. And then again in Philippians 3, 17, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as you have us, for an example. He wrote to the Thessalonians and. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, and he says, You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction and with joy of the Holy Ghost. So, we're to follow those, and, and, and the Bible commands us here, we're to follow those who speak the word of God. Again, in verse 7 it says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. And this is a defining character of faithful servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're to, they're to proclaim or preach and teach the word of God. Peter says in 1 Peter 4 and verse 10, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So we're to be good stewards of what God has given us. And 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, It's required in stewards, the ministers, that they be found faithful. A man be found faithful. Paul instructed Timothy, his, his son in the faith, and Timothy, who was a pastor and evangelist, and, and he told him this, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. And we got a lot of people, preachers today who have turned unto fables. They don't preach the Bible anymore. They may preach about it, but they don't preach the Bible. And so it's required of those that, uh, that you follow, those who, who, who give unto you the word of God and are to follow their faith. So as we remember, the, how do we remember those that rule? Well, we remember those who preach the person of Christ. There's some, I'm going to give you some identifying characteristics this morning of one who is faithful in giving you the Word of God. The, he, the one who preaches the person of Christ. And, you know, I've, I've read Hebrews many times, but I always kind of thought that verse 8 was kind of stuck in there by itself. But that's not the way the Bible is. There's always a context. And this verse is in context with this passage of Scripture of remembering them that rule over you and have spoken to you the Word of God. And this is a defining characteristic of those that speak the Word of God, that Jesus Christ is God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Almighty One. We're talking about the person of Christ. The person of Christ. 
You know, some of the greatest corruptions in the churches began very early on in church history. Even in the first century. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 2.17 and he said this, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. But as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. He would write to the Galatians. And, and this was, you know, again, within the first century. And you, you would think that this, this something this early on, you know, just 30 years after the crucifixion and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there wouldn't be these kind of corruptions within the churches already. But he says this in verse 6 of Galatians chapter 1. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of Christ into another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you who would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. You know, one of the things a pastor can't be is a pleaser of men. Because if he's going to please men, he is not going to please God. You know, I appreciated the Sunday school lesson this morning about Hezekiah. And Rabshakeh saying things to Hezekiah. And talking about how he had taken away the high places. You know, that which makes Christianity convenient. It made it convenient for the worship of people, the high places. I mean, after all, then they didn't have to go all the way to the temple or the tabernacle. You know, it was more convenient. You know, we live in a day where people want convenience. They want a, they want a Christianity that suits them. That's easy. But if you read the Bible, it talks about, you know, believing or saving in afflictions and, and denying yourself and taking up the cross daily and following them. That's the language of the Scriptures. There isn't much about convenience. You know, as you think about the, the Galatians and Paul writing to them, of course, this, this, this uh, corruption that came early and what he addresses in the book of Galatians is legalism. Adding works to salvation. Of course, this was first done by the Jews who said, except you be circumcised, you cannot be saved. So, so you have to be saved by believing in Jesus, but you also have to be circumcised and you have to keep the, the manner of customs law. Of course, Paul and Barnabas contended with them at Jerusalem over this thing in Acts chapter 15. Of course, you had the opposite of that, antinomianism, which says once you're saved, it doesn't matter how you live. That's very popular today. Romans 6 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that God grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? The other thing that was popular, became popular within the first century, was Gnosticism. Which you have a lot of forms of that today. Gnosticism taught, among other things, that the spirit of man can be holy and the body sinful and wicked all at the same time. So as long as you're holy in spirit, again, it doesn't matter what your body is. This is very popular in our modern world, in mainstream Christianity, quote-unquote. In other words, God don't care how you live, just don't be too extreme, you know. You can drink, just don't get drunk and drive drunk and kill somebody. 
I mean, you can dress to provoke lust in others, and, and sex is okay as long as it's consensual. You know, this is kind of the, the, the thing that we see today. You know, uh, you, you don't have to repent. Just believe in Jesus. By the way, devils also believe and tremble. You know, the idea that Jesus has no expectations of you. What about take up your cross daily and follow me? Or Romans 12, 1 and 2, which says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable one of God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure, Philippians 2.13 says. See, as we put the word of God in our, in our, in our minds and our hearts, he, it, will, it will change our will, it will change our desires, and God will work in our heart, in our life. But see, the world has this idea, modern, postmodern Christianity has this idea that Jesus has no expectations of us. What did Paul say over and over again? I, the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or I, the prisoner of the Lord. Now, he was sitting in a Roman jail, prisoner of the Romans, when he said, I, the prisoner of the Lord. In other words, he had made himself, and the word servant or prison there is the idea of a bond slave. That's the meaning of the word. But it means... Of his own choosing. He had made himself a servant of the Lord. That's what God asked of us, to serve him. For Jesus does not, that does not change your life is a Jesus of no profit. He's a Jesus of no profit. In fact, if you notice in verse 9 it says, Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. You know, if you've, got to, if you've got to be circumcised, you've got to keep the manner of the law, Jesus profits you nothing. If you think you can live however you want, and there's no expectations from the Lord, is He the Lord of your life? Who's leading you? Who's the master? He is of no consequence. I mean, if He's no, of no consequence, we can adopt the teachings of Buddha. And strive for moral excellence, that Buddha teaches. And die without hope. Gnosticism also believed that the resurrection of Jesus was not a literal bodily resurrection, but that they saw a ghost or a phantom. Therefore, he is a God, small g, or a spirit being. You see it. And, and, and people say, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you believe in Jesus. Okay, who is the Jesus you're believing in? Is it a biblical Jesus? Or is it the Jesus of the world? See, many people believe in a, in, a, in a Jesus is a good teacher. Jesus was a great prophet. Jesus was a, was a historical figure. But they don't believe that Jesus is was and always will be the Son of God. And a Jesus that's just a prophet cannot save you from your sins. 
A Jesus that's just a historical man cannot save you from your sins. A Jesus who is just a good teacher cannot save you from your sins. For if he's just a good teacher, he's also a liar because he said, I am the Son of God. In fact, Jude addresses this in his epistle in verses 3 and 4 where he says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, they were denying that Jesus is God. The Lordship of Christ is what they were denying. This is Gnosticism. And of course, John refuted this very strongly in the epistles of John. We have Arianism, that was early on, presented Jesus as a created being, thus denying the Trinity and denying Jesus again as the Son of God. That's what Jehovah's Witnesses teach. John 10, 30, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. In verse 36, he says, Say ye of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent in the world, Thou blasphemest, because I said I am the Son of God? And so, these are the these are things. See, see, you need to remember them that teach the person of Christ, that He is God. That He is God. Remember those that proclaim the deed of Jesus Christ, that He was God in flesh. John 1.14 says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And John, 1 Timothy 3.16 says, Great was the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. He was manifest in the flesh. You see, it does matter what you believe about Jesus Christ. It is a difference between life and death, heaven or hell. All the Jews believed in Jesus. I mean, they could see him with their eyes. They believed that he was. But they did not believe he was the Son of God. And Jesus said to them, John 8, 24, If ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. If you do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed of God. In fact, go to 1 John chapter 5. John spells this out very clearly in his epistles. In fact, look at chapter 4 and verse 1. Beloved, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. And again, this is, this is 98 AD, first century. Hereby, verse 2, John, 1 John 4, 2, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. So if you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, the word Christ means he's the Messiah. He is God with us. So every spirit or everyone that teaches that Jesus is not the Christ is Antichrist. 
Chapter 5, verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begot loveth him also that is begotten of him. Notice verse 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Again, we see there the Trinity is spoken of, but again, that proves that Jesus is God. He's God. And so, how, you remember those that, that preach or proclaim unto you the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, remember those who preach the, proclaim the sacrifice of Christ on the cross as the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. Notice verse 10. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Now the word altar here is used metaphorically, or it's a word picture, of the cross on which Christ suffered his, his sacrificial death for our sins. And, 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 it, and it's to eat of this altar, that is, to appropriate to oneself the fruits of Christ's expiatory death. In other words, it's, it's to, the word altar here has the idea that, that our altar is what Jesus did on the cross as a sacrifice as a substitute for our sin, is to receive that. That's the word picture. So we must continue to declare that the work of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, is the only acceptable sacrifice for the remission of sin. He's the only one. Jesus Christ is the only one that can give you forgiveness of sin. That word remission means the sending away. Now, uh, you remember when John the Baptist pointed to Jesus, John, John uh, 1, 29, said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In other words, he sends away the sins of the world. So there's remission. There's a sending away thereof. So, so no, other, no other one who doesn't believe this, no other one has any right to fellowship of the Lord's table in the body of Christ who has not been born again by faith in Christ alone and demonstrated that faith by repentance through, uh, uh, that demonstrated that repentance and faith by an act of identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is, buried with him in baptism and raised to new life. Jamie Fawcett Brown said this, quote, Christianity and Judaism are so totally distinct. You know, people talk about Judeo-Christian values and how they're so similar. Well, there are some similarities, but when you read the Bible about Judaism and compare that with Christianity, they're polar opposites. Because the Jews persecuted. I mean, they crucified our Savior. And they persecuted and put to death the saints of God. And so he says they're distinct. They're totally distinct. It goes on and says, quote, that they who serve the Jewish tabernacle have no right to eat our spiritual gospel meat, namely the Jewish priests and those who follow their guidance in serving the ceremonial ordinance. He says, serve the tabernacle, not serve the tabernacle, contrast with several worship of ours. An altar, the cross of Christ, whereon his body was offered, the Lord's table represents this altar, the cross, as the bread and wine represent the sacrifice offered on it. Our meat, which we by faith spiritually eat is the flesh of Christ in contrast to the typical ceremonial meats. 
the two cannot be combined. That not a literal eating of the sacrifice of Christ is meant in the Lord's Supper, but a spiritual meat appears from his comparing Hebrews 13.9. So, and it says, with grace and not with meats, unquote. So, so he's saying here that, you know, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat. Our trust in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary gives us the right to partake of the Lord's table. But those who serve in the tabernacle, he says, have no right to eat. Have no right to be in the Lord's church. They have no right. What he's really saying here is this. Unless you repent of your sin, put your faith and trust in Christ, and demonstrate that through the waters of baptism, identifying with him, burial and resurrecting to new Christ, new life in Christ, you have no right in the Lord's church. You have no right in the fellowship of Christ. You know, all the new preaching in the New Testament claims that the sacrifice of Christ alone is exclusive. That means it is not admitting of other sacrifices. There's no place for any other sacrifice. But his alone, his alone can satisfy the, the righteousness of God. That's why Jesus said it is finished. You know, it was finished. His sacrifice once for all. That's why the veil was rent from the top to bottom. It signified the end of all temple sacrifices, all worship. In Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38, when the Jews asked Peter, what shall we do? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remissions of sins. And they were added to the Lord's church that day. These people who offered daily sacrifice, they were yet lost in their sins. Their sacrifices did not profit. They had to be repent and be baptized, believing in the work of Christ. You see, there is no prophet in any religion that does not accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to the exclusion of all other ways. He is the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. There's no place in the Bible where it says, well, there's many ways you can come to God. Or all roads lead to God. Or all religions lead to God. It's just a lie. It's not in the scriptures. So there's no profit in any others. And Jesus himself suffered without the camp or without the gate. Notice verses 12 and 13. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Now the, the idea of he suffered without the camp or suffered without the gate means he suffered outside of Jerusalem. You know, the Jews all looked at Jerusalem as the center for religious worship. I mean, to them, that's where the sacrifice should be offered. And that's where they offered the blood of bulls and of goats and lambs and so on and so forth, which could never take away sin. That's where they offered all these things, which he says were of no profit. But Jesus suffered without the camp. He suffered outside the city, outside the gates of Jerusalem was where he was crucified, where he did his work for us on the cross of Calvary. He was outside. 
In other words, he was distinctly set apart from all accepted religion. He was distinct. Again, Jameis Fawcett Brown in his commentary said, without the gate, refers to of Jerusalem, as if unworthy of the society of the covenant people. The fiery ordeal of his suffering on the cross answers to the burning of the victims, thereby his merely fleshly life was completely destroyed, as their bodies were, and the second part of his offering was his carrying his blood into the heavenly holiest before God at his ascension, and that it should be a perpetual atonement for the sins, for the world's sin. See, he suffered without the gate. His body was completely destroyed. You know, Isaiah 52.14 says, As many were astonished at, thee, astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of man. The, really, the commentators say that, that really what that means is he was beaten beyond recognition. He was not recognizable. You know, in like manner, New Testament churches are to be st- distinct from the world. And even what is acceptable in mainstream Christianity with its universal church theory, whereby all, all, we are all in this body of Christ, that really makes the church and the kingdom synonymous, whereby they justify the persecution of those who deem heretics. And New Testament churches have suffered persecution with the intention of their enemies to completely destroy a faithful trail of true believers. But you know, again, Paul in Acts chapter 17, when he's speaking to the, at Athens in verses 30 and 31, it says, the time of this ignorance God winked at. Now the word winked at means he kind of overlooked it. He's winked at it, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Wherefore, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he raised him from the dead. Jesus Christ is the one who will judge the quick and the dead. He is the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. See, you Athenians, Paul is saying, with your varying philosophies, who, and, and you may think you're wise, but God will no longer overlook your willful ignorance. It is repent and trust Christ or suffer the torments of hell for all eternity. That's what he's saying. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. In 1 John 5, Verse 10, he that believeth in the Son hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not the Son hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of the Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, hath not the Son hath not life. You see, If you're trusting in anything besides Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you have not life. You are still under the condemnation of a holy and righteous 
God. Repent and believe. And then thirdly, remember those over you that direct you to the praise. Thirdly, the praise of Jesus Christ. Notice, drop down to verses 15 and 16, it says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for such sacrifices God is well pleased. Now, Notice, first of all, it says here, by him, therefore. So we're all for the praise, or all for this praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, praise is all of his sacrifice for us, and it is by him. Again, he's the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. He is the only one worthy of praise. And this sacrifice of praise is defined as a thank offering. Again, if you notice, the end of verse 15 says, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. It is to acknowledge, really, that every good and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow or turning. Again, that takes us back to verse 8, where Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God never changes. He is the same yesterday, and for, today, and forever. And we need, to, we need to realize that every good and perfect gift we have is from above. And we need to praise Him. It is He that... That gives us assurance of salvation, expectation of eternal life. It is he that hath made us righteous. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He has made us righteous. And we ought to praise him for that. Uh, so he is the, the, has made us righteous and acceptable in his sight. He's made us accepted in the beloved, Ephesians 1, 6 tells us. You know, we, we ought to acknowledge to the world that God is the source of our wisdom and understanding. How do you know all this? God. You know, God gives wisdom in parenting. There's no such thing as parent, perfect parents. But I have many times people come to me in, when we were in restaurants and all our kids are sitting around the table and they just, they're just like, you know... Oh, your kids are just so well behaved. Oh, praise the Lord. God gives wisdom, instruction, how to teach them to obey. Child left himself, bringeth his mother shame, Bible says. The rod and reproof give wisdom. You see, it's God who gives us wisdom and understanding in the light. It is he that gives us power over sin. How do you get victory over sin? God gives you power over sin. See, all these things come from God. It's God that gives us confidence and assurance and peace in a world filled with fear and anxiety. Casting all your care upon Him for He care for you. you know, and, and we understand that, that He uh, will never leave us nor forsake us. He's the one that gives us direction and discernment and decisions of life, even when it's difficult and the way seems weary and dreary. You know, our giving thanks really reveals the character, the, fr the fruit of our lips is, reveals the character 
of its source as a fruit of a tree reveals the nature of the tree. Luke chapter 6 verse 45 says, A good man of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the, of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. When you have God in your heart, and God's on your mind, and you're thinking about Him, He will bring good things out of your mouth. For it is He which worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. You know, all of us have something to thank the Lord for. Maybe I should rephrase it. All of us have many things to thank the Lord for. Yeah, I still remember visiting an older gentleman in Maine who was unsaved. He was 83 when I first met him. And he would often say, I don't know why I'm still here. And he kind of talked kind of slow, you know. I don't know why I'm still here. I said, I do. Because if you die right now, you're going to be without God with hope, without hope. And you're going to end up in hell. Witnessed him for five or six years. A year or so later, we went back to Maine. And the pastor there said, Did you hear about. I can't even think of his last name now. Russell Noyce. I said, No. He said, He ended up in the hospital. I went in to visit him. And he trusted Christ as a Savior. You see, I said, and I would say to him, Russell, you can be thankful you're still here. Because as long as you're here, you have opportunity. Oh, we need to, we need to praise. Give the fruit of praise, giving thanks to his name. We also need to remember those with the sacrifice of communication. In verse 16, it says, but to do good... To do good and to communicate, forget not, for such sacrifices God is well pleased. The word of communication has the idea of, that is caring for them. Uh, communication means a benefaction jointly contributed, a collection, a contribution, and exhibiting, as exhibiting an embodiment and proof of fellowship. It is to make a contribution. The word is used in many places in 2 Corinthians 8.4, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift. And take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Galatians 6, 6 says, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. So in other words, to, to give or to contribute to them that communicate. Uh, Philippians 4, 18 says, But I have all in a bound. I am full, having received of Paspoditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. So, so this, this communication is the idea of giving or remuneration for services rendered. You tie, uh, Paul wrote Timothy, he says th- uh, that let the elders that rule well receive, are worthy of double honor. That's the idea of receiving financial remuneration for their service to the body of Christ. And he says... With this, sacrifices. You know, you think about this church. I believe this is written to the, the church of Jerusalem. This is 
probably mid-60s A.D., severe persecution in Jerusalem. There's Judaism that's taken a strong foothold in the church, so there's a division. So there's all kinds of problems. There's conflicts. And, and, and these pastors are being tried, and they're being you know, uh, pressured. And, and, and so he's writing to them, and he's, he tells believers, look, you need to remember those who give you the word of God, and you need to remember their needs to communicate this to them, to give, to supply their needs. And he says this is a sacrifice is that is God is well pleased. You know, I Friday morning I texted Brother Alexander and I told him that we had voted to increase his support and send him five hundred dollars to help with the extra financial needs he had for the things that he was gonna need for the for the rental of the new church building. And he texted this is why he texts back, quote, Brother, that is a huge blessing. We love you folks. Tell the church we said thanks. Unquote. See, that's a sacrifice of communication. Communicate. Forget not. You see, we are to remember them. Remember them who rule over you, have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of, your, of their conversation. We're to obey them. Submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. We remember those who are faithful in preaching the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember those who preach of the sacrifice of Christ. And remember those that challenge us to offer the sacrifices of praise and to communicate. How well do you remember? How well do you remember what you are taught? Did you ever stop and think that you're going to give an account for everything you hear from this pulpit. Whether it's I, or Brother Nathan, or Brother Bradley, or Brother Hoyle, or whoever it is, or a guest preacher, we're going to be given account. That's why the Bible says, despise not prophesying. That's why it says, remember them who have the rule over you whose faith, who has spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. Are you listening to the word of God? You know, I, I told somebody, I was talking to my wife about somebody the other day, I don't want them dependent on me. Them to be able to go to the Bible, after I'm done counseling with them, go to the Bible and get promises from the word of God for themselves. So, if you think about that, are you following? Are you listening to the Word of God? Are you applying it to your life? This is how I want to be remembered as a pastor. I want people to, be able to, say, people to say of me, He taught me to go to the Scriptures. He showed me where the truths were 
and he taught me to get them for myself. I don't want you relying on me because one of these days I'm going to leave this world. Then where will you be? So remember, remember the word of God that was spoken to you.